There is no strength, there is no power, and there is no creative energy stronger than the power, strength, and energy of God who is sourceless. I need you to keep that in mind because he doesn't go to a source to get strength. He is strength. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. As we discover the Word of God, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 25. We learn a lot today. So we're going to do that in about five minutes. So stay there. Corey and Ryan are with us. Corey. All right. Well, Mom and I are actually going to be merging our segments today. And we are going to be discussing Isaiah chapter 22. Right. Okay, so in 1870, a French archaeologist discovered an ancient tomb in the Kidron Valley, and that tomb would prove very significant for biblical archaeology. So I'll talk more on that after the teaching. That's interesting. Okay, so get your Bible guide out and let's begin to listen to what God is saying to us. Isaiah 22, 1 through 11. The Burden Against the Valley of Vision. What ails you now that you have all gone up to the housetops, you who are full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyous city? Your slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. All your rulers have fled together, they are captured by the archers. All who are found in you are bound together. They have fled from afar. Therefore, I said, look away from me. I will weep bitterly. Do not labor to comfort me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people. For it is a day of trouble and treading down and perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and of crying to the mountain. Elam bore the quiver with chariots of men and horsemen, and Kerr uncovered the shield. It shall come to pass that your choicest valleys shall be full of chariots, and the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate." He removed the protection of Judah. You looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. You also saw the damage to the city of David, that it was great, and you gathered together the waters of the lower pool. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem, and the houses you broke down to fortify the wall. You also made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. But you did not look to its maker, nor did you have respect for him who fashioned it long ago. Isaiah chapter 22, verses 1 through 11. Isaiah chapter 22, chapter 23, and chapter 4, that's uh, 24. That's what we read when we go through the book of Isaiah. This, the writing here is absolutely stunning. It is amazing. And it's easy to trust in a good work, a good work of the past to protect us from the evil around us today. But God makes it clear that every generation must decide for itself who he is and what that means to them. This will determine their future. In other words, God is present when we obey him. 
And past actions provide a measure of protection for a nation. But in the end, God's provision and protection come from the willingness of each generation to accept the remarkable gift of salvation. Now, the Valley of Vision mentions in Isaiah 22 is clearly referring to the city of Jerusalem. Rather than exalting the city as a mountain of God, the prophet was pointing out the city's spiritual blindness. People had come to believe that Jerusalem was God's city, and so he would always protect it. But God did not say that. The covenant stipulated that if the people followed God, then he would protect and provide for them. So in other words, the bottom line is simple. God only moves when we're obedient. Now, don't get me wrong. God always moves. But in our lives, God moves when we're obedient and when we're in his will. This is absolutely fascinating. I love reading Isaiah because the scripture is beautiful. Now take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we study the city of God exposed. And as we focus on this, we need to pray and ask God to help us. But before we do that, remember you can get your Bible guide if you call us or write to us or simply go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the Bible guide page. It takes you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. We very much appreciate them. And then you can download it exactly how we've printed it. But Father, I pray today, as we focus on this passage of Scripture, that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to hear you. We, we don't want to apply our ideas here, but we want to allow your word to speak to us, especially today, especially right now, and especially in this world, which is a mess. Help us, Father, I pray, in Jesus' name, to hear from your word. And we will listen. And the Holy Spirit will help us to have the mind of Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said together, amen, or make it so. Now, with that in mind, we go to the first passage of Scripture, 22 verses 1 to 4. It says, the burden against the valley of vision. What ails you now that you have all gone up to the housetops? You who are full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyous city. Your slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in the battle. All of your rulers have fled together. They are captured by the archers. All who are found in you are bound together. They have fled from afar. Therefore, I said, Look away from me. I will weep bitterly. Do not labor to confront me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people. Oh man, Isaiah, what a writer. He's just awesome. You see, though the siege was over, Isaiah did not share in the joy of the city. People died. People died. There is no provision. There is no protection from God when we disobey him. I want to say that uh, this is relevant today, in today's world, in many ways. Look at the news all around us, it happens. And people have different ideas, this political party, that political party, this social. It's spiritual. Bottom line, it's spiritual. What do you think of God? 
change your spirit, come into obedience with God. That's what's going to change the world. That's what's going to change our cities. That's what's going to change our families. That's what's going to change us. We come to obedience with the Lord. Well, next passage is verse 5. It says, for it is a day of trouble and treading down and perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the wall and of crying to the mountain. Elam bore the quiver with chariots of men and horsemen and cur. He, he uncovered the shield and it shall come to pass that your choicest valleys shall be full of chariots. And the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gates. This is fascinating. God takes his hands off our nations when we reject him. Now look at that. God takes his hands off our nations when we reject him. God told Solomon that Jerusalem would be his city if the people lived in obedience to him. Obedience is such an important concept to live in obedience to God. That becomes very important. And beloved, when we are not in obedience to God, when we're not living in obedience to God, when we haven't done enough in the church, when the people, the people, not the buildings, the people have not shared their faith, when they have not grown in their faith, this is what we end up with. And we need to remember, come back to the Lord. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107, 20. Verse 8. He removed the protection of Judah. You looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. You also saw the damage to the city of David, that it was great. And you gathered together the waters of the lower pool. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem and the houses you broke down to fortify the wall. You also made a reservoir between the two walls for the waters of the old pool. Now listen carefully. But you did not look to its maker, nor did you have respect for him who fashioned it long ago. This is really important. Too often we take our mind off the creator God when we are in trouble. Beloved, when we come back to God, the creator of everything, he comes back to us. Did you notice that? The Bible tells us that when we seek God, when we come back to him and recognize him as the creator, it's not mother nature. Oh no. The Bible says it's God who created everything. It's father God. We need to keep that in our hearts and keep that. That's, I mean, that's the reality of it. So may we today understand that we've got to come back to the creator God and give our hearts to him. When we do that, God changes the way we act and respond. God comes into our heart because he's waiting for us. He's as close as the mention of his name right now. And so beloved, come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, Forgive me where I've doubted you. Help me to understand. Come into my heart. Holy Spirit, forgive me of my sin. In Jesus' wonderful name. And this is what we all said together. And we all answered this way. We said, Amen.
Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and I'm really looking forward to this report because today I'm documenting a chain of discoveries which, which turned out to be a pretty significant find and helped to verify the biblical record. But it also brought with it a bit of a conundrum, which I'll deal with near the end of the segment. But to get us started, we need to go back to 1870, where a French archaeologist first made the initial discovery. So let's go. In 1870, French archaeologist Charles Clermont Ganot, while surveying ancient tombs in the Kidron Valley, noticed a partially destroyed tomb high up in the cliff. As with other tombs in the area, this one had been assimilated and repurposed into a residence, though it did still retain part of a Hebrew inscription above the door. But because Ganot was unable to decipher it, he cut out the rock and sent it to the British Museum in London, where it would remain untranslated for over 80 years. Finally, in 1953, Jewish epigraphist Naman Avigad was able to decipher the text. Though part of the inscription was missing, what could be recovered was very significant. It reads, This is the sepulchre of Yahu, who is over the house. There is no silver and gold here, but his bones and the bones of his slave wife with him. Cursed be the man who will open this. As Dr. Randall Price points out in his Handbook of Biblical Archaeology, the description over the house indicated a steward, but because part of the crucial name was missing and the part that was in the inscription was a common ending for many names, namely Yahoo, no definite identification could be made. Nevertheless, Abigad was convinced that the name on the inscription originally read Shebna Yahoo and was none other than Shebna, the royal steward over King Hezekiah's palace whom Isaiah makes mention of. At least two lines of evidence led him to this conclusion. First, the timing is right. By comparing the letters and writing styles of the tomb inscription with the writing in Hezekiah's tunnel, he discovered that they were both etched during the reign of Hezekiah. Second, Shebna's name fits perfectly into the missing area of the inscription, better than any alternative names ending in Yahoo that he tried. But is there any evidence that Shebna's full name was Shebna Yahu? In fact, there is. Two clay seals firmly dated to Hezekiah's reign have been discovered. Both were clearly inscribed with the same signet and read, belonging to Shebna Yahu, servant of the king. It seems highly likely then that this tomb belonged to the very same Shebna mentioned in Isaiah. While this important discovery certainly helps to verify the accuracy of the biblical record, it also brings with it a bit of a conundrum. That's because, according to Isaiah's record, God punished Shebna because he built this excessively extravagant tomb for himself apart from his family tomb. Apparently, such a building implied a status greater than deserved and therefore was an overt demonstration of prideful arrogance in the sight of God and the nation of Judah. For this, God demoted him from royal steward to scribe and declared that he would never get to use the tomb because he would die in a far-off land. But how then could this prophecy be fulfilled if his tomb bearing his inscription has been found? 
One possibility is that Shebna repented and God relented. But more than likely, Shebna was indeed exiled to a foreign land, never to return, meaning he never occupied his grand tomb. It could have just as easily become someone else's sepulchre or even remained empty. So when I first heard about this discovery, I was super excited because it confirmed a lot of the details that are recorded in the Bible. First, it proves Shebna existed. It also proves that he lived and served during Hezekiah's reign and that he was the king's steward. The tomb itself also stands witness to the fact that Shebna had indeed built a lofty tomb for himself. But I will admit that I also had questions about the discovery of this tomb because of God's promise to Shebna that he would never be buried there. So does this somehow contradict what the Bible tells us? Not at all. As I mentioned at the end of the segment, there are a few possibilities. It could be that Shebna repented and God, in response, allowed him to be buried there after all. But I think that it's more likely that Shebna was exiled to a foreign land and never returned, meaning he never occupied that tomb. And it's also possible that someone else used the tomb instead. And the other thing to keep in mind is that we don't know if the tomb contained any bodies because by the time Gano discovered it, it had already been converted into a home. And even if it did contain a body, there would probably be no way to positively identify who it was. So these discoveries in no way contradict what the Bible tells us. They only confirm it. Now, if you want to watch this report again or any of my other videos, then all you have to do is head on over to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Hembry. That's Ryan Hembry at YouTube, and uh, I watch your stuff. It's very, very good. Now, Ryan, this is, uh, this is an amazing uh, piece that you did and very interesting. And it, it just reminds me that we can't um, you know, isolate the Bible and say, well, where is his tomb or where is that? Because... That's 3,000 years ago or 2,700 years ago. So mm -hmm, yeah. come on. Well, yeah. And the finds that archaeologists are discovering are only confirming the Bible. And there's so many, you know, they're just digging up. And Corey could tell you, they're digging up stuff every day. And, and you all, both of you are staying on it and you're keeping up to date with it. And I'm so proud of both of you. You're amazing. And I think that's really important for a television program as this one is on Internet and on television to keep up to date. Mm -hmm. Very good, excellent, thank you. Corey? All right, well, my wanted to discuss some of the things that we read about in Isaiah chapter 22, because a lot of it is really interesting. And I kind of want to start, I kind of wanted to kick it off uh, reading verses eight to 11 of Isaiah chapter 22, because I want to talk about um, some of Hezekiah's responses, because we know at, during the time of Isaiah and Hezekiah, they had watched the northern kingdom of Israel, which was much more powerful um, than them, than, than the nation of Judah, fall to Assyria. And they knew Hezekiah had rebelled against Assyria. So it was a matter of time before Assyria matched that rebellion with military might. Um, and Hezekiah did a series of preparations that we read about in Kings and Chronicles and even here in Isaiah, where he prepared the nation both spiritually and physically. So he launched a religious reform to make sure that everyone was worshiping God and not idols and the high places were torn down and uh, anything that was being utilized in the temple for idolatry, he got rid of. He really, he really did some good things in that area, but he also prepared the land 
so thoroughly that his time actually historically from an archaeological point of view is marked by um, preparation, by um, sustenance. Uh, you know, he, he built great storehouses for food and oil and wine and grain and, and all of these kinds of things. So verse eight says this, the Lord stripped away the defenses of Judah and you looked in that day to the weapons in the palace of the forest. You saw that the walls of the city of David were broken through in many places. You stored up water in the lower pool. You counted the buildings in Jerusalem and tore down houses to strengthen the wall. You built a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you did not look to the one who made it or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. So this may be referring to Hezekiah's, he, he created a water source, he diverted a water source into the walls of Jerusalem so that the Assyrian army would not have access to it when they came. Now, the problem here is not in Hezekiah's preparations mm -hmm. necessarily. It is a good thing to prepare both spiritually and physically. Mm -hmm. But I think what's really interesting is that it seems to have encouraged a wrong attitude in the people of Judah because That's it says, right. you did not look to the one who made it or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. So it seems to have fostered a, okay, yeah, religious form, great, but yeah, let's get physically ready. Whereas Hezekiah seems to have done both. He's not criticized for this, mm -hmm. but the people are criticized for trusting in the physical preparation. Exactly, because we see that in verses 12 and 13, because mm -hmm. it carries on and it says, in that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and for mourning, for baldness and for uh, girding with sackcloth, which is outward signs mm -hmm. of mourning. But listen to verse 13, but instead, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine, saying, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's that attitude of, of um, living for the moment, right. living in the moment. Right. And I think that's what we, as we were talking about this day and this chapter specifically, that it is what Hezekiah did was not wrong in mm. of itself, but it was uh, gave the people the wrong impression mm -hmm. about where our trust truly needs to be. Is it in the preparations that we've made? Yeah. You know, if we're storing this or we've got water set aside here, is it in that or our bank accounts are full mm -hmm. in case something goes wrong? Or is it really in the one who ultimately provides for us? Right. Right. And, and, and I think this probably goes a long way in, in helping us to understand why Judah was so severely punished by God, you know, through the Assyrians. Because when you look at just, when you just look at Hezekiah alone in Kings and Chronicles, he has such great faith mm -hmm. and they do all this reform and they have the Passover and the people are inspired and they tear down, tear down, uh, pagan altars as well. Um, but then we see the Assyrians destroy all the fortified cities in Judah except for Jerusalem. Well, what's going on? Well, here in Isaiah, I think we see what's going what's on going is on. that there was a remnant of people yes. who were trusting in God and worshiping God, but there was a whole lot of other people that didn't really think that was going to work. Exactly. And they, they, they were trusting in the physical things, but then when push came to shove, they were like, well... Now, now we're messed because here's Assyria and there's no way God's going to save us from this. You know, it's interesting uh, because it's, it's kind of like the time we're in now. There's, we're having to make decisions mm. personally 
about who we trust. Do we trust God or do we trust our government? Do we trust God or do we trust our systems? Do we and there's trust a lot of chattering oh, yeah. voices or, out there. And, oh, and, yeah. even, and even our own our own judgment. Mm. Do we trust God and what he says or do we trust our own judgment? Are we make, oh, we're like, oh, mm, I have a gut feeling about this. It's just, I, I'm going to go with me on this. You know, mm. when we disagree with God, I'm just going to, oh, I'm not really sure I understand that in the Bible. So I'm just going to, mm, I, I see it this way. So I'm going to go this way. What? That's trusting in yourself. That's, right. That's trusting in your own understanding rather than trusting in God's understanding. There's nothing wrong with reason. But at the end of the day, God has proved himself enough that we should default to him. You know, when, uh, you know, when you have a really close relationship with someone and that person is an expert in one area and, 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 and you think you know something about that area and they go, actually, it's this way. How foolish would you be knowing that that person is an expert to just blindly trust yourself, yeah. right? We do that to God all the oh, time. So many he is goodness. Yes. He so is morality. We do that. And we're like, mm-hmm. mm, I don't know, God. I don't, yes. I don't really Because we so. all, yeah, we That's all. really what you said. <laughs> Not We really. talk about free speech, free speech, and. and there's nothing it's, wrong with defaulting to someone that has proven themselves an authority. And God has Isaiah chapter that. 1 verse 18, God says, come let us reason together, mm-hmm. Isaiah. A yes. divine mind reasoning. Well, and Proverbs 3 says, lean not yeah. your on your understanding. own understanding, but acknowledge God in all your ways and mm-hmm. he will direct your paths. Do we believe that or don't we? I mean, it comes right down to that, doesn't it? Yes. Right down to a foundation. Do we believe that or don't we? And um, That's a really great question, and it's a really great discussion. And it, 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 to be honest with you, we have 29 seconds left. So we don't have time to discuss it here, but I, I recommend we talk about that in the future on the yeah. internet because who, that is a good one. Who do you default to? Do you default to your own authority or do you default to God's authority? And if you're a Christian, you've chosen by taking on the name Christian that you're going to default to God's authority. And that should be very troubling to you. It's troubling to me. It's how we have to wrestle with God. But who do you default to? I first visited the nation of India back in 1979. It is a great nation. There's a lot of poverty there, but it's a great nation. It's changed a lot through the years and we need to pray for it. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for India, the third largest church in the world. Help them, Lord, and strengthen them today in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. By the way, if you wanna see a network from Chennai, India streaming, we stream it. And it's on BD Family and Friends called Hosanna TV. Join us.